Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, just just really excited that we can uh, just keep rolling these out. Uh, I was looking at my log here. Looks like by the time we finish interviews this week, the day of recording this, then we'll have uh, episodes that will carry us into September. So very excited about that. I love the fact that you all are coming on and really appreciating the feedback. Um, it. If ever there was a, a way to energize and to prime the pump for the Pastured Pig podcast episodes to come out, there are two key ways that you can do that. One, of course, is just give me feedback. I love it when I hear feedback and, and feedback with suggestions as well. Um, that, that really helps. That keeps me motivated, keeps me, uh, keeps me going when I look at all the list of things I got to do in the week. And it's like, oh, let's, yeah, let's do a podcast episode because people are listening, definitely. And I always kind of comment that it seems like the uh, the podcast format itself is is kind of this broadcast into the abyss since you don't have direct feedback and that uh, tangible response from people as you're talking. Then you always wonder who's who's listening. Obviously, we can see stats and and see how that's shaking out. But that feedback helps. And of course, the the second option is Patreon, which we'll discuss a little bit later. But along the lines of, of downloads, uh, we, we have hit a benchmark. In fact, we hit it a couple weeks ago, and I can't re- honestly cannot remember if I mentioned it in any of these bumpers that I record. But uh, we hit 50,000 downloads recently, and that's really, really cool. That's, uh, that's something that just, just blows my mind. I never dreamed that if I would pick up a mic and just talk about pigs, that, um, that there'd be that much involvement and that much interest and listening to those discussions. So thanks to everybody for for downloading and listening, and we appreciate those that are following along. Well, we wanted to give some updates before we get into our interview. Um, It's been a busy, busy spring, and I think the mild spring has finally turned. We've had, goodness, we've had 90 degree temperatures already this week, which has been a little, little bit of a drag. I've been enjoying the the 60 degree temperatures and 50 degree temperatures that have been sticking around for a long time and then it's like somebody flipped a switch and turned the heater on so warmed up and now we're dealing with no rain and things are starting to dry a little bit so we may have to start transporting water here soon as the streams dry up Uh, this last weekend we had castration of our latest piglets Um, that uh, that's always a fun time on the farm Uh, my wife kelly loves that that's (laughs) that's her favorite part (laughs) she always rolls her eyes no not again not again because she has to help help me wrangle them Uh, the boys help as well so we only had four boars to do this time and it's kind of funny it takes more time to set up to get everything ready to transport them down Uh, we like to uh, i like to do the castration inside my workshop get them away from the sows and, and reduce the stress so it seems to take more time to set up for that process than it does the actual cut, especially when you only have four to do. So that went fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, the, the real challenge of that part, and the part that really gets your blood racing, of course, is the separation from the, the sows, that portion of it. And it seems like no matter what I do, there's always a, um, a, a little chink in the armor of my plans. And this time was the fact that we waited an extra week. Normally I do castration within that first week, no more than seven days old. And because of schedule and all kinds of stuff we had going on, we actually postponed it till the following weekend. So we're now looking at 14, 15-day-old piglets. And so my tote that I usually transport them in, that they they sometimes can try to jump out of and get close, and you have to keep an eye on them. This time, they're just spring-loaded, and they're just bouncing right out of there like like nothing. So it was like, oh, goodness, we, yeah, we don't have a lid. I don't have this ready. And you've know, got uh, Sal trying to uh, get to us. She's trying to come through one of the corral walls to get to us. And... See what's going on with her baby, so we were there holding her, uh, holding her piglet. So I ended up having to uh, take some feed sacks and uh, stuffed them in some feed sacks real quick, so we could get down off the hill. But all went well, and they are back and all healed up and doing well. Not, uh, not any issues there. I want to give a shout out to uh, two new patrons that came along through, via Patreon, Bonnie and Mario. Thank you both for supporting the podcast. It really means a lot to me, and it's exciting to see the support increase. 
we're getting close to our really big benchmark of 20 supporters where we'll uh, be able to activate some things. If you want to see what that's all about, just visit our Patreon page and you can see um, some of the, the benefits and the perks that come along with that. Along those lines, I, I uh, just encourage you, if you would... Uh, if you'd like to see us continue to keep this going, again, I'm, I'm going to keep this going as long as I can, but uh, that support really helps uh, helps justify the expense of parking the podcast on the servers, justifies the expense of uh, storage space. Um, yeah, I, I, I go through a lot of hard drives filling up these uh, all these episodes and all the edits and those type of things, so that kind of fills up pretty good. And as I mentioned, there'll be some upgrades that we'll do as well if we get a certain level of support and that really, really helps out. So uh, I appreciate it. Again, appreciate the feedback, and of course, appreciate the uh, the donation of your hard-earned money. I know it's, uh, and especially if you're doing farming, it's tough to part with uh, any dimes whatsoever because you wanna you wanna count every single one and make sure you get the best bang for your buck. So hopefully, you're finding value in that. You know, one thing along those same lines here recently, probably the, the three or four inquiries in the last month where people have asked about, hey, um, I recall an episode where you talked to so-and-so about X, or they were doing Y, or they raised this certain breed, and can you tell me which one that was? And, and I apologize. Some, some maybe stuck out, or there was a request that was just too specific and I couldn't remember. You know, we've done 60-some episodes now. And that's where, again, if, we, if I can justify the expense of it, that's where I really want to get a transcription service. And it's not just to, you know, it's not some sort of vanity thing. It's if I can get these podcasts transcribed into text properly, you know, not just hiring some run-of-the-mill um, AI that's going to try to interpret my West Virginia vernacular and, and everyone else's vernacular across the country, uh, but actually have a true transcription service that could transcribe these podcast episodes verbatim into text, then the beauty of that is all of that can become searchable as we posted on our, our uh, Pasture Pig podcast website that we're going to launch. And that would make that indexable and searchable so we could really be able to um, offer the opportunity for you to go just search. So if you remember so-and-so talking about specific breed or a specific topic or a specific, you know, specific keyword that you're trying to find, then that would help that as well. So that transcription service would be very handy. So uh, if you would consider uh, supporting Patreon, the links will be in the show description there where you can um, just follow and see what's going on. There's three tiers there, just as little as $5 a month, and you can can help support us and get access to those things. uh, I think one of our new supporters may have been Mario was Canadian, so it's kind of cool to see um, uh, Canadian support there, so I appreciate that. I guess I'm now international. Okay, well, let's get into our discussion today. And today's conversation is a little different. Uh, I've, I think I may have teased this a little while ago, but really excited about this one. This one was, was I wouldn't say it was more fun than the rest, but this is just a different different angle. And, and in this interview, I'm speaking with the Rodell Institute. And the Rod- if you don't know about the Rodell Institute, I, I really encourage you to look at uh, the show notes here. There'll be a link to their website. They're up in Cutstown, Pennsylvania, and they're kind of a they're, they're kind of a commercial farm slash nonprofit research entity looking at sustainable practices. Pastured piggery is just a portion of what they do, but I really like uh, their approach to, to the way they do things, and of course they make data available for us to look at. And uh, uh, Baylor, who we talked to in this interview. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to keep a communication conduit open with him so we can even follow back up. As you'll, as you'll hear in this interview, we talk about specific things, things that they're trialing. So each year they do something new with their pastured pigs just to see how it works. And they record the data, they track the data, and see how, just see how that performs. So it's, it's really neat to see somebody doing that. So they're kind of they're kind of testing at the expense of production. So it's things that that you and I could not logically do in the sense that we're going to oh let's try this this year with our pigs and if it fails miserably we've got nothing to sell or our, our pigs came in underweight or um, yeah, we we missed our mark by xyz or something. Uh, yeah, that's not anything that we're going to want to do if we're going to try to justify the expense we pour into it every year. But the but the Rodale Institute has the opportunity to test, and they actually have multiple litters of pigs that they're rotating, rotating through with with different uh, tests, and, and they they're really following a scientific method in how they produce that. But you'll also hear us talk about in this interview their pig setup. So they've got a 
pretty uniquely designed system, and I would call it an advanced wagon wheel, but the, the hub of the wagon wheel is this structure that they've built that really accommodates a lot of automation, uh, makes cleaning easy, uh, but also still allows the pigs to be channeled into various areas of new pasture where they're testing different types of pasture grasses, different types of, of forage and those type of things. So uh, this may be one you want to listen to multiple times, uh, but like I said, definitely be prepared. If you listen to this in the vehicle, be prepared to come back, sit down at a computer or on your smart, uh, smart device or whatever, and bring up that website and check it out because they've got a video detailing their setup and, and they've got some data available out there. And like I said, we'll follow up with Baylor to try to get some more data based upon the things we discussed. So that's enough of me rambling. Let's dive into the discussion. We'll catch you guys on the backside. Today, we're going to do something a little different. I feel like we're, we're ratcheting up a notch here. We're, uh, we're talking to Baylor Lansden, who is the animal husbandry and field technician for the Rodale Institute in Cutstown, Pennsylvania. So welcome, Baylor. Hello. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us here. Uh, for um, I, I honestly don't know for our audience how many people would recognize the Rodell name, or if uh, if they have a vague understanding of it. So let's let's start there, if you don't mind. Would you mind telling us first a little bit about the Rodell Institute, and then we'll get in and talk about you and your role specifically. But give us the forty thousand foot elevation view of Rodell Institute. J.I. Rodale for the purposes of studying organic production methods. Um, and he expanded that here on the home farm, which is in Cutstown, Pennsylvania, on 333 acres. And um, the majority of that is dedicated to um, just organic production methods and also studying organic production methods. The longest running part of the organic um, production study is the uh, field systems trial, which is a side-by-side -side organic and conventional comparison. Um, and each, like organic and conventional, has different um, production styles inside of it as well. Um, for example, like no-till, reduced tillage, and different um, crop irrigations. And so that is the backbone, I, is in my view, and I think the Institute's view, that's the backbone of the facility. And then offside of that, we have um, a vegetable systems trial. We have a, a beginner farmer um, training, which I took part in. And we have um, an organic orchard. Um, we have like an organic crop consultant. Um, arm to our institute um, that has expanded into our satellite um, in satellite locations as well. And then we have the most important part, of course, which is the um, pastured flying facility. All right. Excellent. So, so it sounds like the, the institute, the farm up there in Pennsylvania, is a fully functional working farm. In fact, it sounds like it's got multifunction going on, as well as a research and data capture situation as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little buzzing hive, but the, I think the most attractive part of Rodale going into the history is actually the research part of it. I, I do see that as our backbone. Um, we're a beautiful place to be, but I think the research is what really backs our facility up. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I like that aspect of that. And, and there is some uh, partnership or some affiliations with some universities. Is that correct, or is it just partnership only? Yes, there are, and unfortunately I'm not really um, well-versed in that. Mm -hmm. I do know that our pastured um, pork parasite um, study does involve Kutztown University and some other universities, um, but I'm not too well connected into that, as well as the field system trials, which is all um, like row crop rotations, um, involves a lot of land-grant universities across the United States. Yeah, very good. Okay. All right, well, I have to ask you a question about the Institute, because this is something that fascinates me. I'm... I'm um, 
<laughs> I'm a marketer by trade, so I, I have a, 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 a my primary source of income is a marketing company that I own. But and I always think about um, when I look at these setups, especially nonprofits. What is the sustainability model from your experience? What's the sustainability model for the Rodale Institute? What is its what is its primary source of income? How does it sustain itself? How does it continue to do the great work it's doing? Um. Well, it's mostly donors and grants. Okay. Um, which is necessary to function. Um, I mean, sorry, to back up all of the research that we do. Um, of course, we have cash flow, flow from sales um, and events, but the backbone of funding the institute is from donors and grants. Yeah. Um, and that's just necessary to fund the amount of staff we have and the work that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's to be understood and to be expected, especially with the, the large amount of research done there, that it's tough to be profitable with farming in general, of course, and then when you add all the extra work that you all are doing, that that would make it tough to be a, a sustainable model strictly through sales. Do you know roughly yeah. how many employees or how many staff are there? I, ooh, I want to say um, there are about 35 for this location, mm -hmm. but don't quote me on that. I'm okay. sorry, I don't know. Uh, uh, exact number, and it's harder with COVID because so many people um, work from home now. Right, right. Don't really, I get, don't have a good grasp on who's here and who's not. Um, but I do believe it's about thirty-five. Yeah, yeah, and I, I assume there's probably a volunteer wing of that part-time. There's, there's probably all kinds of people. It's tough to nail down, like you say, even pre-COVID as to who's actually there During doing what. The season we have um, usually about. 10 to 20 um, interns come in for different spheres of the farm. Yeah. Um, so that fluctuates. All right. Very good. Well, let's shift gears here a little bit. Tell me a little bit about you in particular. First of all, uh, this uh, let's talk about this title. So animal husbandry and, and field technician, how long you've been in that position. But then also let's get into some of your, your background, uh, education, you know, what got you here, and that kind of situation, if you don't mind sharing that. I started in this exact position on the beginning of Jan uh, the first of January. Um, before that, I did the beginner farmer training um, program here for two seasons. Um, it was mostly vegetable based, but I also got involved in the animal husbandry aspect and kind of, uh, I guess, kind of like weaseled my way into it some sometimes as well because it was honest my like passion um i love vegetables i eat them in moderation <laughs> i um they're they weren't really like my passion so i'm glad that i was able to get into this position from that um before my internship i um worked for lsu um i am actually originally from louisiana um, and I just worked for the one of the extension centers. Um, and before that, I got an education in food security um, at the University of Edinburgh hmm. for a master's. And then before that, it was all me trying to find my way around <laughs> through <laughs> multiple internships and an undergrad in political science. Oh wow! Okay, so you've you've really covered the spectrum then. So. So if, if I if I do that in reverse order, so you say you started with uh, political size, the direction you were going, and then you you ended up in a did you say a master's of food safety? Food security. Food security. Yeah. yeah. Um, everyone does think it's food safety. It was a the joke was that we were um, trained to be armed bodyguards at supermarket. <laughs> Your job is to guard the vegetable stand, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're studying um, instead just like the entire food system. Um, and to be honest, that was, it was all just a long route to get back to where I wanted to be because uh, I started in high school in the Future Farmers of America showing hogs and broilers, um, which is where kind of this all started. Uh -huh. And I wanted to be a farmer way back then and um, 
know, enough people told me it, that wasn't going to work out, so I didn't choose that option. And eventually I found my way back to it. All right. <laughs> the long so you've got dirt in your veins is what you're saying, basically. Um, I wouldn't go that far. I'm sure there are a lot of people with a lot more dirt in their veins and, you know, a lot more um, reason to say that. But I did, um, I did put in the seeds way back in the day, um, just doing hog shows and boiler shows and just generally being interested in farming as a kid. Yeah. So let's talk about, so you ended up here at Rodelf with the two-year uh, beginning farmer program. What was your what was your goal? What was your end game in, in, in enrolling in that? I've got to be honest. I have no idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, um, I, I loved LSU Extension, um, but we didn't have any wing involved in sustainability in the way that I viewed it. Um, and definitely not anything organic, which is something that I was interested in as well. And I was looking for a way out. Um, I had cited a lot of Rodale's work in my master's degree, so I kind of stalked their site, hmm. um, saw that they had an internship opened up, and I was just like, you know what, here we go. <laughs> and moved up to Pennsylvania, a place I'd never been, um, and... Started that ball rolling, yeah. Yeah, well, excellent, good deal, well, wonderful. So let's um, let's segue over here. I'm sure the questions people are, are waiting for us to, to ask is uh, let's do the drill down on the the pasture pigs. Obviously, you're on the pasture pig podcast, and uh, let's let's focus in on that area primarily if we can. Can you give me the uh, kind of the layout of how you all are working with pastured pigs? Uh, maybe we'll start with the infrastructure first of what you guys got going on there. Sure. Um, so I'm really blessed with a um, cushy facility that I have to remind myself how cushy it is sometimes when I, I we can get into some of the problems with it, but it is it's very nice. It's about um, two hundred. I mean, sorry, yeah, um, 2,025 square feet of pen space that's covered by a big hoop structure. Um, and inside is a poured slab with um, nipple drinkers coming through the slab. Um, so it's a good year-round facility um, that's, you know, bedded down with straw and Surrounding that is eight acres of um, pasture that's fenced on the outside with um, hard wire and mesh. And then inside of that, we run electric lines to come out of the facility. Um, so each pen has its own door that leads into the paddocks that we create to break up that eight acres. Wonderful. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I watched the video. And for those listening, uh, and down in the show notes, I'm going to post a link to the video that actually features features this facility. So, yeah, the, the, uh, I, I appreciate your description of that. I think you did it really well. I'll add to that a little bit. Just from my experience, to me, that looked like one of those large DOT um, you know, salt storage facilities. So, uh, for those of you listening, imagine this. Yeah, these concrete walls that are poured look like they're poured about what four feet high on on the sides. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so concrete walls, and then of course the large reinforced hoop structure. This isn't just a you know greenhouse type structure. This is a a you know, one of those large engineered that that. What would you say the center peak is? Is that twenty five feet, thirty feet? To be honest, I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it's substantial it though. It would have to be at least thirty feet though. Yes, it's it's pretty tall. Um, tall enough to have falcons coming in and out <laughs> regularly. <laughs> right. um, and it, just to hit on some other highlights, um, it has roll-up sides mm. on each side, um, and there are two feed lines that come down the middle um, that go into gravity feeders. Yeah. Um, and let me think if there's anything else I should mention. I think that's it, but I'll, if, it, if anything else comes up, I'll mention it. Yeah, so the um, the thing that jumped out at me about that, obviously this is a very, 
well-engineered structure. Obviously, there's a, a, a what I would consider a substantial investment in the structure, but I, you know, I think the benefits in the long run, are, of course, definitely going to play out. But you know, a substantial amount of concrete, the um, the structure itself. Uh, but I really liked the the water system. So a pressurized nipple system, uh, pre-poured uh, or or pre-placed prior to the concrete pour, and then auger-based system to gravity feed feed into the individual feeders in your your pen. Uh, center alleyway, it looks like that you can get a decent-sized tractor or piece of equipment down. And then with that center alleyway, because of the gate systems for the pens, you guys can, can manipulate and, and manage uh, pigs from pen to pen, however, pretty easily it looks like. Yeah. Um, honestly, that pen system with the center alleyway is just a blessing to me sometimes for yeah. moving pigs in and out of groups or um, weaning medical treatment, it's great. Uh, and like you said, for the pens on either side, we can remove all of the gate structures and run a skip steer in either side to clean it out. Yeah. Um, and we need to do that because we have our um, deep bedding system that, again, you can see in the video. So we try to clean it out uh, at least seasonally. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So you're saying that the the pen structure in there can be completely removed from the concrete. So you then have just an open concrete floor where the skid steer can get in there and, and articulate the way it needs to to remove all that bedding, correct? Exactly. And um, on each side, there are actually two layers of concrete slab. Mm -hmm. So the, where the exit doors are um, drops down about five inches. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and the goal of that is to keep the wet spot um, at the lower slab. Hmm. Um, I've got to be fair to that. It it works a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Not completely. Um, it does help whenever um, water flows in from outside, which does sometimes happen. And um, that means that only the bottom area gets wet, and then there's this... Um, an area above that stays dry. Uh, however, they don't, I think the original idea was that they would choose the lower portion to um, relieve themselves, and that's not what happens. <laughs> right, yeah. Pig's going to do what a pig's going to do. So is, is that top step, so that top uh, higher elevation concrete, is that on slope, so it, it, it even drains that direction, or is it is it all just flat pour? No, yeah, just okay. flat pour. Okay. So would you say then, Baylor, that this setup, I know, again, looking at the video, it looks like you have um, multiple groups of pigs in these areas, but are you, are you using this as a traditional wagon wheel structure where you're, you're rotating around those, or do you have test groups in each one of those alleyways, in each one of those pens? Honestly, it, it depends. Okay. It depends on what's going on. Um, so, for example, last year and this year, we had a, a trial that involved um, having essentially four different um, repetitions. So, or actually, sorry, four different, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Four different, trying to get my science speak on. Right. Um, four, four different um, trial types. Mm -hmm. So... There had to be four pins that were taken up by um, feeders that were broken up. Um, and so that was like one method where there were, you know, like two big paddocks, and those paddocks were broken up into four smaller paddocks. Um, one was rapeseed and one was clover. So we'll run it like that if we need to do an experiment. Yeah. Um, but then outside of that, it is just kind of like a wagon wheel system where you're breaking up pasture by usage. Okay. Um, that, yeah. But that doesn't mean that we need to, like, rotate them around the pins. Um, we like to, like, just break up the pasture and keep them in the same pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm following you there. So, so look at it there, man. There's a lot to unpack there. So let me back up for a second. So you're, 
again, being a, a research-based organization, so you're doing side-by-side -side comparisons. I assume you have a control in one of those four where you're actually testing, okay, these, the, these entire pigs' life cycle is going to be on this certain pasture with this certain uh, variable, and then you, the, the others have a different variable, and, of course, you've got your control. So that's actually what you're doing from time to time, I assume. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so, uh, wow. So looking at, and that's what I was looking at on the video, is it, it appears that the eight acres around the, the structure, of course, is, is nice, flat, tillable land. But you're using um, mobile fencing to create lanes to maybe drive them out to different areas of that eight acres. So like you say, they, they don't rotate through the hub, but through the structure of the wagon wheel. But they are, based upon how you guys manipulate lanes, you can move them from point A to point B pretty easily. Okay. I'm well. glad you're able to translate me. <laughs> no, it just fascinates me. And it's the, 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 I have to be honest with you. Of course, you, you don't know where I am. I'm in, in the uh, foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia. So when I see oh. your eight acres, I, you know, the first thing I do is say, wow, wouldn't that be nice? And the other thing I do is kind of grumble. It's like, well, yeah, anybody's got flat land could do that. No. Um, but no, it's, it, it's one of those things where, to me, the wagon wheel, that concept is just so key. Uh, but some of us that deal with some heavy topography issues, uh, as I do, uh, we can't pull that off as well. So then, of course, you go to look at alleyway pasture rotation. You got to look at just, you know, we're, we're primarily woodlot here. So you just go look and say, okay, how do I just get them from point A to point B without uh, you know, driving myself crazy? But but really like that setup and that structure and the portable fencing. Of course, the first thing I looked at from that video, and it, it looked like it was peak of season, is how much wear and tear you're getting on those lanes. Since uh, a pig's life cycle is staying in that same pen and they're going to travel some of that same ground over and over again. How are you guys mitigating that? Is, is that are you seeing much damage there? Um, yes, and it, it does depend on season. So... Um, during the summer, we just try to move that lane as often as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, however, that's just one of the, I guess, gives of the system. Um, those lanes do wear out. Um, now, you know, they don't wear out so bad that they aren't easily receded. Um, and that's something that we do often. In the winter, what I do is I give them a... Um, super sacrifice pasture, mm -hmm. the way I like to think about it. Yeah. And um, they, you know, they beat it to pieces. Um, so there's not one single lane. It's just more like I chunk out an area outside of the barn. Um, and, you know, it's a mud pit, but that saves the rest of the pasture. Exactly. Um, and then from there, you know, we can move them off of that in the spring, which we're hoping to do in a few weeks here, and I can receive it outside of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Obviously, in Pennsylvania, uh, I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you know how this works. You, being from Louisiana and then coming to Pennsylvania, that winters are a little different between those two locations. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this is my first winter doing animals up here, and I learned a lot of lessons. No doubt, exactly. The tight-fitting boot is the one of the best things, one that will not take on snow or get sucked off in the mud. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So, um, so, yeah, that's interesting. So the sacrificial area, and that's that's something you know, most of us run into. Um, yeah, I would say, my goodness, 90% of us probably run into unless we're in a, a very temperate climate. But the sacrificial area, so you, you all... Um, are you keeping roughly the same number of head through the winter, you think? Or is that just constantly changing depending on what you've got going on? So right now, um, we haven't had a management technique so far to um, reduce our numbers in the winter. Mm -hmm. um, so we've just kind of been rolling along and not breaking up the head that we have through the winter. Um, but in the future, because we are blessed with a facility that um, makes barrowing in the winter possible, I would like to um, keep 
my seasonality so that I don't have um, a lot of big pigs through the winter in the yeah. facility. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was going to be my next question. So this facility, are you currently utilizing it for farrowing, it sounds like? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we have two farrowing pens that are you know, made just for farrowing. Um, I'm planning on expanding to farrowing and multiple pens because I want to start farrowing seasonally. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been done in the barn yet. Um, but yes, the, the facility was bent yeah. So when you say Barney, we're still talking about the same pig structure that, that's in the video, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So all this is all under that one same roof. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, looking at that facility could definitely handle that. And again, with the um, ability to manipulate your, your layout, then that, that gives you that freedom. So, um, so of course, with Farron, are you, are you doing um, you doing AI or do you have an, a resident boar, boars? What do you have there? So right now we're a, a little overloaded. We have two boars. Mm-hmm. Um, which is overkill for our facility size. Um, but we had them because we were trying to get six sows pregnant at the same time for a trial. Um, and they wanted to make sure that that could happen. Yeah. Um, now, one boar can definitely, you know, um, service six sows. Mm-hmm. But we were having some problems with our original boar, which is a Amworth have a time, mm-hmm. um, but he seems to be doing fine now. Uh, but now we have two boys, um, hoping to cut that, that down to one. So in the future, the goal should be one boar and five to six sows. Yeah. I'm aiming towards six. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can feel your pain. I've got three boars right now for three sows. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long story. Wow. <laughs> it's a long story. Yeah, we're we're kind of playing the dating game right now. So you know, yeah, a lot of this is the matches though. Yeah, so, somebody's going to win, and somebody else is going to freezer camp. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so that that has me segueing to my uh, my next question. I want to ask you. You you mentioned Tamworth already, and and that was one thing that I think the Rodale Institute really kind of kind of champions on their page when it comes to animal husbandry and not just for pigs, but talking about heritage breeds. So what breeds do you focus on if, if, if there's multiple and then why uh, is that philosophy that way? Sure. Um, so I can talk about how it started. It started with four breeds, um, Gloucestershire Old Spot, Tamworth, Red Waddle, and Large Black. And um, we pretty much functioned in a way that we were trying to just keep those four breeds present, and some of them were pure and some of them were crosses. Um, At the moment, we only have three pure breeds. We have Tamworth, um, Gloucestershire Old Spot, and a Red Waddle, Um, and those were all picked just to... uh, just represent what heritage pigs were, kind of just give some diversity to the public, um, let people see what pork could be outside of, you know, the land race in the Yorkshire. Um, and also, I think, to kind of just see how the breeds function at the same time. Um, and from that, I believe we've learned that we want to err on the side of um, a little bit leaner and a little bit faster growing. Um, so we will be phasing out um, the Gloucestershire Old Spots and the Large Blacks. Uh, no offense to those breeds. Mm-hmm. They're just not great for our facility. Um, and we're going to go more towards more Tamworths and Red Wattles and maybe bringing in um, some Berkshire. Mm. Oh, we got to Yeah, 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 yeah. Here the barks pop up all the time. Now, when you talk about those specific breeds, are you talking about keeping those lines pure? Are you looking at crosses? Are you looking at a mix? Uh, I think we will definitely cross. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we will try to do some pure for people that um, are looking for that because we have some people that are reaching out to us for feeder picks um, that are looking for like pure red wattle. Um, and pure Tamworth. So we may keep that as an option 
and I would also like to um, just keep pure blood coming through the system so that I can keep doing the crosses that I want to do. Um, but I won't like only have pure breeds. I won't aim for um, like only having purebred feeders, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's talk briefly about your your feed. Now I assume looking at uh, the information on the website it is an organic farm, so I assume that spills over into your uh, hog operation as well. Is that correct? So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your feed and, of course, the uh, the elements associated with organic pastured pig farming. All right. Sure. Um, so our feed is organic, um, but it's made of, I guess, like, quote-unquote, like your conventional um, mix. So it's a TMR that's corn and soy-based with oats mixed in, mm-hmm. okay. as well as um, we used to have fish meal, uh, but we took it out because we were animal welfare approved and um, we couldn't have the fish meal because the fish wasn't animal welfare approved. Oh, yes. So at the moment, we're just running with um, those three grains, um, well, those two grains and legume in our mix, as well as um, feeding down our pasture with things that we we're hoping to supplement the feed with. Mm-hmm. Um, also have run some little like I'll call them pre-trials I guess on hogging down and we did that on corn last year um, and I have a little project in mind this year with um, hogging down some different grain cover crop mixes and um, seeing if I can you know seeing how much I can supplement the TMR with that or you know reduce the TMR for that and just working out the economics of that. Okay. So explain for our listeners that, that term, hogging down. Sure. Um, so now I'm not really well-versed in this practice, but it is essentially planting a crop that will be harvested by the pigs. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's, it's kind of, I guess, the same concept of grass feeding, or pasture feeding a ruminant, except for, of course, because they're monogastrics, you have to choose different crops. Um, so, like, using a small grain, using a root crop, or using um, a, like, corn or legume mix or something like that. Um, and this system was used a lot more broadly before... Um, Harvesting grains was as cheap as it was, and feeding animals grains was as cheap as it was. Mm. Um, and I'm hoping to see if the economics of this works out to like um, a good blend of pasture and reducing feed costs, because as some of your listeners may know, um, organic feed is pretty expensive. Yeah. Yeah, a little steep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So are you, uh, I, I, I could probably know the answer to this by looking at the, the farm, but is there an opportunity or is there a discussion about any woodlot uh, introduction or even a silvopasture element to, to what you've got going on there? Yeah, um, and it was just pretty much fortuitous. So we have this area called tree as a crop that was planted uh, quite some time ago. Um, I think it was probably about 25 years ago now, but I'm not sure. But um, it was planted with a native tree crop mix, Hmm. and there are a lot of oak in there, as well as um, even some American chestnuts. Oh, wonderful. And they're all quite, you know, they're still relatively small, um, but I'm hoping to run them underneath that at some point. Um, we probably won't be doing it this year, but sometime in the future, I hope to. I'm running the broilers under it this year. Yeah. Uh, and from there, I'm just going to get more experience in the area and see what the pasture might be able to take and see if I can run some pigs through that. Um, we have run the pigs through the orchard in the past, 
Um, the orchardist didn't really like that, and I understand. <laughs> um, yeah, he probably so kept him up at night. <laughs> if we can manage it better in the future, we'll give that another shot. Oh, I could, yeah, I can see the look on his face. Why are there pigs in my orchard? Very good. <laughs> Yeah, I got to say, obviously, uh, I'm very biased sitting on 100 acres that 95 of it appears to be all woodlot is uh, I'm biased when it comes to mast and silvopasture structures. We're actually, that's what we're trying to to put in place here is silvopasture, but instead of planting, we're actually you know, selectively removing so we can open up the canopy, get uh, get some ground cover growing, but utilize, man, we've got hickory, we've got oak, we've got walnut, we've got beech, and it's just a... Um, you know, mid uh, midsummer on to fall, it's just uh, it's like walking on marbles in in some places. It's it's nice to let wow. them loose in that area. You see, that's actually what I fantasize about, and I need to remind myself how nice my facility is in those moments because I'm like, wow, I really wish I had a full a full forest that I could access. Well, I will trade you 50 acres of forest for 50 acres of flat land because right now there's places <laughs> there's places where I have to hold on to a tree to keep from falling over the mountains. So, oh no. Yeah, <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, there's there's oh, I did the question just totally. I, mine's going off like a rocket here, trying to think of different different things. But one thing that I I do want to come back around to the facility and the information you have on the website. You all discussed uh, scalability, so that's something that I think is huge for audience because we have uh, I think as we we talked prior to recording, we talked about the fact that some of our listeners are just getting started and they may only be raising. Um, uh, one or two pigs, maybe three pigs for their their own homestead consumption, and then we have others that are, you know, two hundred breeding sows, that type of thing. Just you know, seriously large operations, and this structure that you all have built at Rodale, in in some of your information, you talked about the scalability of it. Now, obviously, the structure of that size, I'm sure there was some pretty good initial capital outlay. But what is this the scalability model from from either direction, going down or going up from that uh, setup that you guys have? Um, to be completely honest, we haven't been able to, in the past, um, do a very good analysis to see whether it is profitable on our, well, not, we're a nonprofit, so it wouldn't be profitable, but we haven't done an analysis to see whether this structure and the way that we function with it would be profitable. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, um, I can't back it up with that. Um, I can see, though, how this facility can be expanded um, or even reduced. Mm-hmm. There are some changes that I would make. Um, and again, I can't say whether that model would definitely be profitable by what we do on our facility um, because there were some pretty high upfront costs. Um, but I can see how a well-managed system using our model um, would work. I would make some adjustments um, as a pasture-based and especially organic producer um, with uh, pasture rotation um, and building up the facility Um, because the facility is in one place we get a like a large nutrient accumulation Mm -hmm. um, as well as parasite accumulation which may not be as important for people who are not organic but because we're trying to aim to study an organic system it's important to us Um, and to be honest, it's, it's a problem in our facility. Yeah. Um, so I would want to address that um, before I, or at least let that be known before I let told someone else that they should do it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, I mean, and I'm glad you, man, I appreciate you sharing that, being that transparent, because that's that's the beauty of this is sharing the data that, that says, hey, this is a slam dunk, or hey, you know, this, this has some potential issues to it. This has some rooms for improvement. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. Um, real quickly, because I know we don't have a lot of organic producers. I don't know that we have many. Yeah, we, we have a lot in the non-GMO realm. We have a lot that are 
soy free, those type of things, people exploring those opportunities. So when it comes to a, a medical regimen, when it comes to parasite treatment, what are your options that you guys address for organic? Um, so the first and best option is pasture management, um, oh. which is kind of why I brought up the facility, mm-hmm. because um, unless you really reduce the stocking rate, uh, it's going to be hard to manage the pasture in a way that reduces the parasite load because there will always be a large parasite load outside of the facility. Um, so if you were not going to use the fixed facility, I would say that rotation is key. Um, if you would use a fixed facility, and I completely understand why you would, that's what we do, um, to be honest, your number one um, is herbals and like um, tan, like heavily tanned in supplements. Mm-hmm. So I use herbals, um, and they, they do work to an extent, um, and I, I don't have any data to back this up yet, but I believe that you would also need a parasite-tolerant stock at the same time. Yeah, okay. Um, but I believe a combination of both is what's important. Yeah. So in our facility, we've seen some of our stock, uh, again, no data, but they seem to be um, more parasite-tolerant than other stock, mm-hmm. um, and I would like to keep that around. But at the same time, I do have an herbal regimen that I use. Um, of all herbals that I've read studies on that seem to have actions on the particular parasites that we're dealing with, um, and I use those as well. Yeah, so, yeah, my goodness, you talk about a, a polarizing, and, and it's something that we could have you know, another two hours just discussing this topic alone, so we won't, we won't go down that trail. But um, you know, that's something that, that is very polarizing, even in, in our group, is, is looking at some of these natural opportunities, uh, the herbals, you know, DE, those type of things when it comes to intestinal parasites. And then, of course, you know, going more traditional with uh, injectables and, and those type of things. So huge, huge discussion there. Are you all, I know you said you really don't have data yet, but do you, do you have something in place where you're, you're doing uh, you know, fecal studies, those type of things right now, or that's something still on the radar? Yeah, we, um, a big part of our facility is poop analysis. Okay, great. Um, we, we had the study on um, different plantings and how that affects parasite load in the pasture as well as in the pig. Um, so the control was clover, and the experiment was run on rape, um, rapeseed. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing whether the like sulfur compounds and that affect the parasite load. Um, and we did not have any conclusive findings from last year. Okay. Um, but we are hoping to get some this year because we're running the same trial twice this year. Okay. Um, and fecal analysis is also taken throughout the year. Um, so from that, I'm hoping to see if the egg counts are going down with the new like herbal regimen that I've put them on. Yeah. Um, but I have nothing just yet. But I started a regimen of wormwood and garlic and a few other herbs. Um, wormwood was the only super reliable one that I saw studies on. Right. But not. I did see studies in swine, um, but not on the parasites that we were aiming for. But I did see studies in humans hmm. for the parasites that we were aiming for. Yeah, yeah. So I decided to just, you know, take a chance and extrapolate on that. Yeah. But again, it's, it's not, it's not, I'm not dealing with something like ivermectin or anything that we, like, definitely know it's going to work. Right, yeah. Well, you know. The human and the pig have very similar physiologies to some degree, so that's I think that's a, a rational uh, approach. That's what I'm going on. Yeah, <laughs> it works. All right. Well, I want to be sensitive to your time, and and I know you've got another appointment here shortly. So I, I the forty five thousand other questions I have, I'm going to uh, put a pin in those. But I do want to wrap up here in the la- last five or so minutes and talking about. 
um, Rodell, as far as this, so all this great data, all this information you guys are putting together, a research facility, how do we as um, aspiring pasture pig uh, 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 farmers, how do we take advantage, how do we utilize the services, the data, the, 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 the facility per se at Rodale? What, what are our uh, opportunities to, to interact with Rodale? And I think that's one of the most accessible options. Mm -hmm. um, so our next webinar is going to be on October 6th from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, of this year, and that's going to be talking about our parasite work that we've been doing. And um, I'm hoping to schedule like a swine, pasture swine production webinar, but we don't have one just yet. Um, and you can also just, you know, look at our website um, and contact me over email and by phone as well. Um, I am always willing to help with whatever, whatever I can do. And any data that we get from the future, um, I'm hoping to, you know, maybe it won't be publishable in like peer review status, mm -hmm. but I would hope to put it online just just to let other people see what we're doing um, and see if they would like to try to replicate that on their own facility. Yeah. That, from that on their own facility. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's, that's great. And yeah, the, uh, the website and I'll, um, I'll, I'll sh again, share this information in our show notes. For those of you listening, the uh, webinars that are upcoming, of course, will be scheduled and posted, but then also they have their library of webinars that have already happened on the website, so you can go back through that. I believe those are actually nested in YouTube, so very easy to view, very uh, very easy to access in that situation. Now, as far yeah, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, no problem. But as far as the facility goes, so you guys, you guys kind of have an open campus uh, model, correct? Yeah, I should have mentioned that. I think I'm still coming out of the COVID haze. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's got anything open, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's even opportunity. You'll take volunteers at, at different times as well. So if somebody wanted to come come up and actually get their hands in the dirt or shovel some pig poop, I'm sure you would uh, have an opportunity there. You know what? We haven't had any volunteers for that, surprisingly. <laughs> but I would totally take a volunteer for sure. <laughs> well, I, I guess it depends on whether you hand them a shovel or you hand them the keys to the skid steer. <laughs> quantify those details a little bit yeah uh, well Baylor man I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me I, I'd love to uh, and, and we can talk about this more offline but I, I'd love to keep this um, this conversation going over the course of uh, of the season and and maybe just keep a communication conduit open with you all to to provide additional information and just just kind of get the 411 I'm I just watched a hawk fly by my chickens here, so I got to eyeball him real quick. <laughs> so, uh, it's a problem of having a studio with a big window. I just see a hawk fly over, scared me. Anyway, I'm, I'm distracted. So, yeah, I'd like to keep those communication windows open and, and then uh, you maybe circle back around, uh, your time permitting, of course. I know you've got a lot going on uh, to get you back on and, and discuss some of these things. Maybe we can drill down deeper in some of these, um, these topics that we've uh, scratched the, the surface of. Oh, that'd be awesome. All right. Well, I uh, obviously, uh, you know, I normally ask people, I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question. This is kind of, this become a tradition for the podcast because again, we're usually dealing with uh, farmers on their, on their own uh, property, you know, dealing with pigs. So let me ask you this question. What do you think from your experience, what is your, um, the most favorite thing about raising pigs on pasture? Hmm. I think that 
there's a moment, <laughs> not taking on pigs, but you, there's a moment when you're out on pasture with a pig that you forget that they could ever be dirty. Yeah. It's like whenever they're walking in like a field of clover and they just, they look so natural, you know, maybe they wallowed earlier, but they've just like been out in the grass and they've cleaned themselves up. And I wish that people could see pigs like that more often because I feel like that, I I hate the words like natural and stuff, but I feel like that's just more natural to the way that they are. Yeah. They, they have their places where they mess, they have their places where they wallow, and then other than that, they're, you know, creatures that like to roam with space, and um, that's part of the pigginess as well. Right. And that, that's when I, I love it, because it's, it's hard for me to want to, like, get in the actual muck with them, but whenever me and the pigs are out, like, you know, on good pasture... That's what I almost just like want to take a nap with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's funny you say that. I've got a picture of my son who's 19, but when he was 12 years old, he was curled up in the uh, in the barn, you know, in the hay. The pigs are all laying in the hay because it was really cold, and he's laying up against them. So he's he's got his head on the ribs of, of one pig just laying there in all this big fluffy hay. So <laughs> it is. Yeah, they, we they, have this one litter that is so, um, they're so personable and, so like trusting of me that the moment I get in they just run up to me and because we've had everything bedded down really well um, I will just like start scratching them and they'll just like plop right into the hay and I just <laughs> plop them exactly and yeah. I'm, just, I'm just like you're dogs you're just dogs <laughs> yeah exactly they go belly side up and they're ready for for good relationship there that's great all yeah. right well, Baylor, I'm, I'm going to let you go, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Uh, for everyone listening, I will definitely post down here in the show notes the links to uh, Rodell, uh, their website, and, of course, these specific things we talked about, the webinar page, the video page, so you can see the facility. And uh, and then I'll, uh, for those of you listening, again, I'll keep in contact with Baylor, and as he gets some data he's wanting to share, maybe we'll use that as a conduit to pass that out to everyone. But, uh, man, I appreciate your time. And I pray you have a good rest of the week. And, and maybe, maybe with all this sunshine, you'll get some pigs moved around. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was great talking to you. All right, man. Take care. Well, all right. Again, I can't uh, thank Baylor enough for coming on. Uh, that's actually an interview that we've been trying to put together for a little over a year. It was, it was a bit touch and go. There was some, uh, I know seasonally they have a little bit of turnover there when it comes to people on staff. So uh, it was both of us, uh, both parties were interested in discussing and having the conversations. It just took a while to get it together. So appreciate Baylor coming on and, and sharing that insight with us. Don't forget to check out in the show notes there the, the website link for Rodell Institute to be sure to visit the website, look at their pig data, and be sure to watch that video of their, um, their setup for their uh, pig pasture with that uh, centralized location. Very, very neat stuff. If you have any questions, obviously you can send me an email, troy at redtoolhouse.com. If you've got any suggestions for upcoming episodes or uh, specific topics, there's definitely some things you know, topically that we want to dive deeper into, just trying to line up the, um, the appropriate guest. Uh, again, I'm no expert when it comes to getting into these details of uh, specific topics. I know there's been a lot of requests for discussion of specific medications, specific diseases and disease control. Uh, still looking for that veterinarian out there. Um, actually had one of y'all reach out to me uh, about a certain condition they were having with their pigs. And uh, so we talked a little bit about it and, and talked about consulting a vet. And, and I think they were close in our area. And, and they underscored what I've run into is that we are a, a desert when it comes to veterinarians that that have any access or any experience with pigs. In fact, I believe the veterinarian that came out and tended their pig was an equine vet, had never really even seen pigs, and anyone else they called, they said, no, we don't want to mess with it, we don't want to see pigs. So it is unfortunate when you run into some of those things in some of these areas, but if you happen to know a veterinarian that has pastured pig experience, again, by all means, drop me a line um, with their contact information or just the name that I can find on Google, and I'll reach out and see if we can get some good discussion going there. 
Again, don't forget, uh, if, if you like this uh, this format and the way we're putting together these podcasts and you want to keep that rolling, uh, consider making a contribution to Patreon, being a supporter there, as little as $5 a month can uh, can really make a difference in keeping this thing going and, and even growing. And that's my, my plan, is not just to sustain, but keep growing and building in new features. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. As I'm recording this bumper, we're rolling up in, onto Memorial Day for those of us in the States. So I pray everyone have a great weekend. Be safe. Get out and enjoy some time. Take a little break if you can, if you got somebody to watch the animals for you. <laughs> All right, take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.